The following presentation is brought to you by KMmedia.pro. Please visit KMmedia.pro for more information. Now stay right where you are as we present. Welcome to Positive Talk Radio, evolving ideas, one conversation at a time. Great guests, dynamic stories and interviews, plus new thoughts on a wide range of topics and concepts. I hope that you'll hang with me, Kevin McDonald, my friends, and of course, you, as together we work to understand why we are all here and what we can do to make our world a better place for all of us to be happy, be kind, and live in peace together. Yep, that's Positive Talk Radio. And welcome, everybody, to another episode of Positive Talk Radio. It's Monday morning. My name is Kevin McDonald, and and we're here all day for you, at least for the next, you know, like hour. And we're we're and ben, Benny, how are you today? I mean, to put it lightly, yes, yeah, yes, indeed. Well, we've got <laughs> an extraordinary show for you. But before we go into that, mm-hmm. it's not going to be ninety today. Woo! Is that correct, sir? Taking a break. Give Washington State a break. <laughs> it was all it was ninety all last week. Plus, it was, yeah, it was super warm. Uh, we went out yesterday on the lake. We went to Lake Taps with the girlfriend and the kids, and I um, I got a little pink. I'm not going to show you. I know you're asking. I'm not going to show you. I should have been more, better prepared. Uh, sunscreen, my boy. Sunscreen. I know, but I get so tan too. <laughs> I don't tan. I go from white to red. That's just the way it goes. Um, it's, it's a genetic thing. Yeah. And speaking of genetics and, <laughs> and uh, healthcare and all sorts of interesting things like that, we've got a great show for you today. And I hope, by the way, I want to let you know that uh, if you're on your way to work and you find this subject interesting and so you're going to be a little bit late to work because you're going to be listening, just to email Benny and he'll write an excuse for you. <laughs> right. <laughs> Maybe not. Uh, but, I can only uh, use doctor so many times. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. <laughs> we have we've got a, a a great show for you. We're going to be featuring a book. It's called The Perfect Predator, and uh, there's a subtitle there. And I'm going to have the authors tell us about that. And uh, but it's a, a kind of a cross between the Andromeda Strain and a detective story, and also a a story of some somebody's true grit and uh, would not settle for. Uh, what everybody was telling her, and it actually saved her husband's life. So we're going to be talking about all of that, and I'd like to welcome the the two authors of the book, Stephanie Strathdy and Tom Patterson. How are you two today? We're great. Good morning. Doing well. Good morning. It is awesome to have you here. Now, if you want to follow along, you can go to theperfectpredator.com, and uh, you can also pick up the book from there and learn all about what is becoming, a, and I believe it's going to be a major issue of our time. As a matter of fact, Stephanie has been um, told in, in, in healthcare and in time, in time.com, they said that she's one of the top 50 healthcare practitioners in the country. Um, you knew that, Stephanie, right? Well, I'm actually not a medical doctor, but so it's kind of a surprise that I got named as a, a healthcare influencer. But um, it was an honor because uh, this treatment is now saving other people's lives and limbs. So let's let's talk about that. The first thing that I want to mention is that I've had septus, 
and um, they had to put me in the hospital, and I had antibiotics for five days, and and just a, just flooded my body with antibiotics. But uh, in conversations with the doctors, they were concerned that um, antibiotics are not working the way that they used to, and they're not coming up with new antibiotics to combat bugs that are becoming resistant to antibiotics. So far, am I correct in that, Stephanie? Oh, yeah. In fact, it's getting to be a much bigger problem than anybody anticipated. Um, the University of Washington, just local to you, um, published a paper in Lancet, the top medical journal, earlier this year um, that described in 2019, 1.2 million people per year around the world died directly due to a superbug infection, and 5 million a year were dying with a superbug infection. And that's much more than HIV or malaria. So by the year 2050, we're going to be seeing at least one person dying every three seconds from a superbug. Holy mackerel, you're kidding. Well, you wouldn't be kidding. You wouldn't be telling me that. <laughs> exactly. Well, it, you know, just so people know what a superbug is, what we're talking about is a bacteria that's resistant to multiple antibiotics. And in Tom's case, he acquired a, a superbug that became resistant to every antibiotic under the sun. Well, you know, it's interesting because I used to be in the chicken business. And they, they feed their chickens antibiotics because they want the, the herd to be healthy. And what we're, what they're finding is, and tell me if this is, if this is correct, what they're finding is by doing such a thing and people then consuming chicken, that humans are losing their, the antibiotics are using their effectiveness in humans. Is that, am I close? You're absolutely dead on because 70% um, of antibiotics in the U.S., Canada, and many other countries are actually used in agriculture. Um, so, you know, chicken feed, cows, pigs, as well as on crops. And if you're using the same antibiotics in animals and on crops that you're using to treat humans, then that's when resistance is occurring. Um, you know, we're acquiring bacteria directly from the environment as a result of this that are resistant to multiple antibiotics and uh, so we've got to stop doing this and the reason that we do it if somebody was asking is that uh, because um, they want to keep the flock healthy because they don't get paid if the flock dies or gets really sick and so they want to keep all the chickens healthy so they give them the antibiotics to be able to do that to prevent disease but it has what I would call unintended side effects that, that's true. I mean, yes, antibiotics are used in agriculture to prevent and treat disease, but one of the more sinister aspects of this is it's actually used off-label as growth promoters, so it makes animals grow fatter faster. Now, there's, there's bans in place to try to stop that, but there's loopholes, so veterinarians don't have necessarily a time limit on uh, a prescription that they give to a farmer's. So these are the problems that we've got to solve because it's affecting everybody. It is. Now let's let's talk about uh, yours and Tom's journey because it was it was quite a journey. First of all, it started off by you going to Egypt and wandering around the pyramids and having a wonderful time. Isn't that right? Well, maybe Tom should start until he starts to hallucinate. Um, Hunt, do you want to <laughs> kick it off? <laughs> I'm not on drugs, don't worry. <laughs> this was back in 2015, and uh, Egypt was on my uh, bucket list. It's a place with a lot of history, obviously. So we went, had a wonderful time. I was crawling down pyramids, a um, bit heavy at the time, 
And um, on the last night, we were on a ship across from uh, the Valley of the Kings in Luxor. I had a wonderful seafood meal. I uh, went to bed and woke up and was violently ill. And I couldn't stop throwing up. Stephanie insisted on calling a doctor the next day who came to the ship and said, oh, gee, you know, it's just a ordinary stomach bug. We'll give you some antibiotics and some fluids and everything will be right as rain in no time. Of course, that turned out not to be true. I, uh, they took me to a clinic in Luxor where uh, this was a pretty rudimentary uh, clinic, actually. There was no hospitals in Luxor. And um, they eventually did a, a CT scan in a clinic in town and discovered something that they didn't want to, uh, to talk about, but they seemed to be ready to let me leave town, so to speak. And uh, Stephanie stepped in and got it uh, together with the insurance company. And uh, here's a lesson for everyone before we get too far into the story about antibiotics. We had health insurance, which included um, evacuation if it was needed. And so I uh, was evacuated to Germany and then home and uh, seven ambulances and all that cost was the cost of $23 for travel insurance. So I recommend that. But um, before we go down to the evacuation entirely, I'll let Steph take over and tell you about what happened next because much of the time beyond this moment, I was either uh, hallucinating in a coma or uh, just plain non-communicative. Steph? Well, you know, Tom was really, you know, in a, in a bad way. He was drifting in and out of consciousness. Um, at, in the clinic in Luxor, they absolutely did the best that they could. Um, they did diagnose pancreatitis. Um, and whatever they saw in the CT, they realized that he was in, you know, having some complications. We didn't know what this pancreatitis was from. When he was medevaced first to Germany, they did an endoscopy and they found that a gallstone had stuck in his uh, bile duct and caused a giant abscess to form the size of a small football. And so that's really um, what the problem was, but um, it didn't stop there because this abscess became a nice little apartment for a superbug to move into. So they cultured this fluid from the abscess, which is you know brown and putrid. And clearly he had been walking around with an abscess for quite some time without realizing it, but he had picked up the superbug in Egypt because it was later sequenced and found to be an Egyptian strain. And so um, at this point, I was reading up, you know, on pancreatitis and superbugs and trying to catch up and realize that, you know, the, the upwards to 90% of people that have these kinds of complications die from them. And this was before we even knew that the, that the you know, bacteria was resistant to everything. So um, we, you know, had his daughters fly to Germany and we had bedside vigils and just hoped that he would hang on. And luckily he did. And so they stabilized him and then sent him back home to San Diego where, um, you know, our physician friends at the ICU at UCSD's medical hospital in La Jolla were caring for him. And uh, then things got even more dire. 
it, um, Stephanie, I, I, have, I have to ask you, and I want Tom to comment as well, but there was a point in time when the doctors came to you and said, we don't see much hope and that, that we don't think that he's going to survive this. And so you went into the room and you had a conversation with Tom. Uh, tell us how all that went. Yeah, so about this point, you know, he'd been in the hospital about three and a half months and he was on a ventilator because his lungs were failing. He was on three different medications to keep his heart pumping and the doctors had a meeting with us and, you know, they basically said his kidneys are starting to fail and do you want to start dialysis? In other words, they're asking me, you know, do I want to, you know, keep him on life support? And, uh, you know, I just didn't know what to do. We had um, talked about, you know, what would ever happen if either one of us, you know, got, you know, deathly ill. And I knew that he said, if I'm brain dead, you know, like pull the plug, but his brain was alive. It's his body that was deteriorating. So I didn't know what he would want to do. So I had this conversation with him where I said, you know, honey, I know you've been fighting really hard. And um, I know you're tired um, and I want to grow old with you. And if you want to live, please squeeze my hand and I will leave no stone unturned. And I didn't even know if he could hear me. I was just taking chance, the chance that he could. And I waited and I thought, oh crap, you know, he's not going to squeeze my hand. And then all of a sudden he squeezed my hand really hard, like so hard it hurt. And, you know, I got excited, you know, my little blue glove, I fist pumped it in the air. And then I thought, oh, crap, like, what am I going to do now? I'm not a medical doctor. Um, <laughs> but the weirdest thing is, is that I found out months later, because obviously Tom lived because you're talking to him today. I found out later what Tom was thinking when I asked him to squeeze my hand and it will blow your mind. Tom, what were you thinking? Well, First off, let me say that uh, my experience is probably not everybody's experience. Um, at that very moment, having been in a coma for some weeks, and in total, I was in a coma for about three months. But at that time, I was hallucinating that I was a snake being filmed for a documentary about death. And you might ask yourself, well, why were you a snake? What was that about? Well, you know, they had put me on a ventilator, and when they do that, they put a big uh, segmented tube down your throat, which kind of looked like a snake. And also, uh, during that time, as Steph mentioned, there were conversations while people are standing over me saying he's not going to make it. It's all futility. He's dying. So I interpreted all of this in my muddled mind that was foggy from the infection and lack of sleep and the uh, uh, antibiotics themselves and interpreted it as I was a snake. And so uh, the message here in part is when somebody's in a coma, they may be able to hear you. I could hear. And so be careful what you're saying when somebody is in front of you, a loved one, and uh, be gentle, say positive things. It'll help them have a more positive experience. At least it would have worked in my case, but I had a lot of crazy experiences and it's not like a drug high. Let me tell you, it's not something you wanna do 
it is the real world when you're in there in that hallucination. So you heard her say uh, or ask the question, uh, what do you want to do? Um, when, what was it that motivated you to squeeze and squeeze hard? Well, there's two thoughts to this. One, um, when she said that as a snake, I didn't have hands, so I had a problem. And that's part of the reason that there was a long delay because I had to figure out how am I going to squeeze her hand? Because, you know, I got to wrap my body around is what I finally figured out. Of course, as a snake, I didn't know how hard to squeeze. So I over squeezed. Now, why did I want to live and others don't? I cannot say, honestly, but it, you know, people have said, I couldn't go through what you did. And I say, I don't understand. Don't you want to live? Don't you have the will, the resilience to, to try to live? As close to death as I became during uh, certain periods, I always decided I want to live. I'm going to fight to live. I don't, don't understand just wanting to give up. Of course, people out there, some of them are depressed, and it's a different situation. But I started off with a what I consider to be a healthy mind. You might argue, God, you were a snake. You can't be healthy. <laughs> Well, I got to tell you, because you have uh, children and you have a lovely wife who loves you dearly, um, that's, that is reason enough to want to continue on. And Indeed. Your best fight. And, and you did fight your best fight, but suddenly, Stephanie, he says he wants to live and you're not a doctor and there is no protocol. What did you do next? Well, you know, as I mentioned, I'm not a medical doctor, but I am an infectious disease epidemiologist. And, um, you know, I know how to do a literature search. I went home and I did what anybody would do. I hit the internet. And um, there is a search engine that the National Library of Medicine has um, developed and made free of the public called PubMed, P-U-B-M-E-D. You can put any keywords in there and up will pop, um, you know, peer reviewed medical literature. And so I put in, you know, the name of his superbug, which was Acinetobacter bomanii. It's taken me years to pronounce that properly. Could you even spell it? Well, I can now. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> but uh, basically, the, the WHO has listed that superbug as the most deadly to human health, um, apart from, you know, tuberculosis. And so it's a nasty one. And um, I put in other keywords like alternative treatments, multi-drug resistance. And lo and behold, I stumbled across a paper that talked about different potential treatments for the future. And one of them was bacteriophage therapy or phage therapy for short. Now, phage therapy involves what? Well, bacteriophage are the natural predators of bacteria. They are viruses that have evolved to attack bacteria. They're the oldest and most populous organism on the planet. There's thought to be 10 to the power of 31 or a non-alien, that's 10 million trillion trillion phages on the planet. So they're everywhere. They're in um, the oceans where they keep, you know, the, the number of bacteria in check. They're, they're in soil. They're, you know, under rocks, they're in our body. It's thought that 30 billion phages move in and out of our body every single day, keeping our microbiomes healthy. But we haven't really 
pay much attention to them. When most people think of the microbiome, they think of bacteria. But without the phages, we would have bacterial overgrowth. And so um, it's been hard to, to study phages until fairly recently because some of them, you know, are hard to, to culture. And um, so when I stumbled across this, I realized, oh, my God, you know, these phages were discovered over 100 years ago and already used to treat bacterial infections in humans. They were discovered even before penicillin. And they had a real heyday in the 1920s and 30s. Um, some people who are um, into literature will know the book Aerosmith that won the Pulitzer Prize in 1926. And it was a fiction, but it was based loosely on this guy, Felix de Harel, a French uh, Canadian self-taught microbiologist. So anyway, you know, he used phage therapy to treat successfully in humans and animals. But when penicillin came on the scene, it was forgotten in the West. And it was also taken up um, by the Soviet Union at the time. And they had the first phage therapy center and it became one of uh, Stalin's legacies. Um, and so it got this reputation of being uh, Soviet science. And as a result of that geopolitical bias, um, it was really pushed to the fringes of Western medicine. Now you mentioned that that there are there are lots and lots and lots and lots and lots of this. Is it is it because this is Mother Nature's way of holding down um, bacteria and keeping it from overrunning everything? Yeah, exactly. And the thing you need to know about phages is that they're very specific. So with that many phages on the planet, you know, you, you realize that 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 some of them attack um, certain bacteria and others attack other bacteria. So you have to find the perfect predator, if you will, to knock out the pathogenic bacteria that you're trying to kill. So it's kind of like a lock and a key. They attach to a bacterial cell through a receptor. They drill into it. Their um, genetic material, usually DNA, takes over the, the bacterial cell, turning it into a phage manufacturing plant. And so that bacterial cell is now like a zombie. It's not making bacteria anymore. It's making phage. And then when given the kill signal, those baby phages burst out and attack new bacteria, but only those that are a match to. The ones that are not a match, um, they leave alone. So they're filtered out by the body's own natural defense system, like the liver and the spleen and macrophages. And so they don't harm the other bacteria. So that's the beauty of phage is that they don't hurt the friendly bacteria in our microbiome. They just take out the, the nasty ones. Isn't Mother Nature uh, a marvelous um, uh, thing? Because it, it, it provides us with, with all kinds of things that done naturally that you wouldn't think would be even possible, but it was done just naturally. I, you know, it's amazing. Yeah, and you know, and it's also weird to think that you know phage therapy really had been forgotten in the West for over a hundred years. But um, and you know, all along though, um, the former Soviet Union, like the Republic of Georgia and Poland in particular, have been using phage therapy for years. And so, when my husband actually received phage therapy, um, and it was you know held up as a miracle, they were really they've been shaking their heads, going, "Okay, so so some American gets this, and then finally they." you know, agree that it, it's something that works. So, so we're, we're a little chagrined about that, but, but Tom ended up being what we think is the first person in the U S uh, who had a systemic superbug infection to be treated with intravenous phage therapy. And that was part of the um, novelty of his case. Now, now just to be clear, 
uh, phage therapy. Um, the phage themselves have to be harvested from, uh, oh, for lack of a better term, waste, human waste, and and garbage. And <laughs> <laughs> well, we, yeah. I mean, the thing is, is that, like I said, phage are everywhere. But um, you've got to be able to find a lot of phage and where, the, where you find a lot of phage or where you find a lot of bacteria. So sewage is a really great place to find both. And, you know, um, the phage for Tom were sourced directly from sewage. Now, there were some researchers who donated phage that they'd already um, identified from other places. Um, even the U.S. Navy got involved, and their phages were sourced from the bilges of ships. Uh, that's just that's just amazing. So somebody had to go find trash to find something that could save people's lives. That, yeah, uh, that is amazing. By the way, we are talking with Stephanie Strathdy and Tom Patterson. They've written the book, The Perfect Predator. What's the What's the subtitle, Stephanie? A scientist race to save her husband from a deadly superbug. The publisher came up with that. <laughs> that's a, that's a, say that again. Okay, so it's the perfect predator. A scientist's race to save her husband from a deadly superbug. Oh, very good. When's the movie coming out, by the way? Well, you know, we actually have had Hollywood interest. So um, who knows? Uh, Hollywood is a very fickle place, but. Um, uh, it, you know, our goal in writing this book was to pay it forward. You know, we realized that we were privileged because we had people, a global village of strangers, step up to the plate to save Tom's life. And so we are hoping that through our book and maybe a movie, it, that other people will learn about the scourge of superbugs because this is the silent pandemic that's that's right upon us now. And phage therapy is a 100-year-old forgotten cure that could be used to treat it. And it's uh, cheaper than developing a billion-dollar new therapy uh, because it's already here. And we well, just need... and, you know, and the point too is that pharmaceutical companies have, have gotten out of the antibiotic business largely because it's not, you know, um, uh, cost-effective for them because multi-drug multi resistance is occurring so quickly. So that's another reason why the pipeline is drying up and. Uh, we need alternatives, but phage and antibiotics um, can actually be work, work together. They have a synergism sometimes. And if we can capitalize upon that, then um, we'll, we'll be able to, you know, to get past this. It is so cool that you are working hard to, and not only are you saving lives, you saved your best friend's life, which is an amazing thing to be able to do. Well, you know, it, I still wake up some mornings and I think, did this really happen? And then all of a sudden, you know, Tom will have some kind of medical event um, and, uh, you know, it'll all come rushing back. You know, we both had PTSD as a result of this. It's called post-ICU syndrome and we had to be treated for it. And um, we get a lot of COVID survivors coming to us and telling us that they really relate to our book because they've gone through similar ordeals. So we're just, we're just totally blessed, you know. And he takes out the garbage every time I ask him now, too. <laughs> Good for you, Tom. Um, <laughs> now, we, we're going to need to take a break real quick. But when, and when we come back, I want to talk about having to go on a ventilator. Because many times, and COVID has made this clear, 
many times when you go on a ventilator, you never come off. And we're going to talk about that and more with Stephanie and Tom when we return. So please stay, stay right where you are. You're listening to Positive Talk Radio on KKNW 1150 AM. Do you believe in the combination of brain work and spirituality? Her grace and sense of humor have made Allison Roberts highly sought after. She's a cognitive behavioral expert with natural intuition. Allison has guided thousands of people all over the world to find their internal power. Visit A-L-L-Y-S-O-N-R-O-B-E-R-T-S.com for your free guided meditation today. My name is Kevin McDonald, and I created Positive Talk Radio on KKNW 1150 AM. And if you like what we're doing here, evolving ideas one conversation at a time, we have so much more to offer you on PositiveTalkRadio.net. Over 160 podcasts and growing. Great positive guests and many thoughts and ideas designed to help you and your family live life just a little bit better. You can even contribute to our work by becoming a member and receiving lots of cool stuff. Please check it out. I created PTR because now's the time for positive change and nothing else matters. Again, visit PositiveTalkRadio.net and thanks for listening. When you want to say more than words communicate, you can with flowers. Your custom boutique floral studio in Bothell, Washington is anaturaldesign.com, connecting you to nature through the language of flowers. Where your people are is where our flowers are beautiful. Your success is our goal. Now through New Year's Eve, here's your exclusive bonus for being our appreciated listener. Type in promo code Positive Talk Radio at checkout to receive $20 off your order. Our gift to you for being here with us today. AnaturalDesign.com Have you ever said, how did I do this again? Want to create your own powerful life? Well, Allison Roberts can help resolve the issues that keep repeating by creating a new outcome. She is one of the top 100 coaches in the world and will help you achieve your dreams. Email her at allison at allisonroberts.com or visit allisonroberts.com and receive a free guided meditation and discover all of her ongoing programs and events. Welcome, everybody, back to Positive Talk Radio. It is Monday morning. we got a great show going for you, and I hope that you'll hang with us for the entire rest of the show because it's a lot of fun, and uh, and we're learning a lot, and uh, we're talking with uh, um, Stephanie and Tom. They are both PhDs. Uh, they're not uh, doctor or uh, medical doctors, but um, Stephanie is a infectious disease epidemiologist, and, you know, Thomas, something struck me when you said that you are an experimental psychologist. So I wanted to talk to you about that. But first, before we go there, I promised that we would talk about, Stephanie, what was it like when they said to you, we need to put Tom on a ventilator? Oh, man. Well, I mean, this is before COVID, right? So this is like, you know, 2016 that we're talking about. And, you know, I like to think of myself as a pretty knowledgeable person, but it never occurred to me for some reason that when somebody goes on a ventilator that they can't talk um, because obviously a tube is, in, you know, down their throat and they've got this contraption in their mouth. And, um, you know, it just, it, it, it was, I realized I, I might never have a conversation with him again. Now, later, 
Um, he'd been on a ventilator so long that they decided to actually do a tracheostomy where they, they put the ventilator tube in the person's a hole in their throat. And that was obviously also very scary. Um, but when he started to recover after he received phage therapy, which we can talk about as well, um, you can actually um, train somebody to speak when they're on um, this too, but the, the, the hole in their throat has to be capped and they have to have a speech pathologist um, teach them again, like how to swallow and how to you know, speak because all of those muscles have atrophied. I mean, it's, it's really shocking to see that your loved one go through this. I tell you, and, and Tom, I got to ask you, you mentioned earlier that even though you were in a coma, you were tired because you weren't getting a lot of sleep. That's a weird thing for people to understand and get their head around because they assume that since you are unconscious that you're actually kind of asleep, but you were really were awake unconscious. Is that fair? That's very fair. I, um, I really do believe that I had a wake sleep cycle that, uh, you know, when I was awake, I was actively hallucinating and, you know, hearing what was going on in the environment around me. But then there were periods when it was just like what you or I would go through in sleep. You might have a dream or something, but, uh, you know, the one thing I, you know, when you start talking about being on a ventilator, I think a couple of things, Steph already mentioned that, uh, you know, you can't communicate and, and not being able to communicate is, is very, very frustrating. But also, I think people don't really realize you might imagine that, yeah, you know, it's helping you breathe and all is well. But that mechanical uh, device actually weakens your lungs. So in the end, when they remove it, your lungs are actually weakened. And so, you know, I mean, one point about my whole experience that I think is important for people to realize is if you're laying in a bed for nine months, it takes about five times as long to recover from that once you're out of bed as it does that time. So it's about four years of recovery. And had I been able to receive phage therapy early in my illness, I wouldn't have been in bed for nine months. And hopefully I wouldn't have had, a, you know, the long recuperation that I did. Exactly, which is, which is, you know, it's heartbreaking because, you know, guys, I was also thinking about people with COVID that they are in on a ventilator, but their loved ones can't even be in the same room with them. And so they're alone on a ventilator. And then the COVID thing has made it really, really, really tough. Um, and I, I'm, I feel sorry for all people that had to go through that. Uh, I agree. In fact, you know, one of the things uh, that people don't realize when you're in a coma, more than half of people come out of them and they're cognitively impaired. I believe that some of the reason that I'm able, not impaired, I mean, I'm back to work, seems like I'm not impaired, um, was because people were next to my bed all the time. Um, and holding my hand, even though they were gloved and so I didn't have real human touch, but just having people talking to me, stimulating me. My one daughter was singing to me, playing her guitar. The other daughter was reading bird identification books. I'm a bird watcher. And, you know, graduate students and other people were coming in and just sitting and talking to me. 
And that really made a huge difference. I think that also helped me, you know, with the desire to live. So, so the, the moral of that story is if you have a loved one who happens to be in a coma, they're not unconscious. They're in a coma, but they might be aware of what's going on around them. Is that right? Yeah, I like to say uh, when you're in a coma, you're not a loaf of bread. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's good to know. Uh, well, you know, it, it's interesting because we've given um, talks to medical doctors, and when Thomas told them that he could hear when they were in a coma, there there's an audible gasp. And physicians have told us that it's changed the way that they deal with patients now. And they should talk to patients as if they are conscious and saying, you know, I'm just going to put this cold compress on you right now, or, you know, you're going to feel a little prick in your arm and, you know, those kinds of things. It's, it's, a, it's a sign of respect. So you two have changed uh, medical science in more ways than you can even count really. Well, we certainly didn't do this alone. I mean, obviously without Tom's will to live, um, you know, he wouldn't have, um, because it would have been so easy to let go. Um, and I certainly had wonderful help um, at the University of California, San Diego, where we work, um, the whole medical school and um, right up to the administration. Um, when I proposed phage therapy to cure him, um, a lot of people thought that this was a nutty idea, but they were willing to give it a try and they helped me cut through the red tape. Um, in particular, Dr. Chip Schooley, um, who is a well-known infectious disease physician, he took on, um, you know, liaising with the FDA to get um, approval to use phage therapy on a compassionate basis once we found phage that were matches. And, um, you know, it, we had a lot of help. But I have to say, what's really gratifying is that we now at UC San Diego have the first dedicated phage therapy center in North America called IPATH. It's the Center for Innovative Phage Applications and Therapeutics. So if somebody is listening and they, you have a loved one who has a superbug infection, we're a nonprofit. You can contact us at ipath at ucsd.edu for a free consultation. And um, if you're eligible for phage therapy under the current FDA guidelines, we will help. And there are partner labs all around the world. And there's now phage therapy programs at Baylor, at Yale University, the Mayo Clinic in um, Rochester has a phage therapy program. There's um, phage, phage therapy has been offered um, to first patients in Canada. Ireland is about to give their first case. Phage Australia has taken off. Um, there's a phage therapy program in France and in Belgium. And of course the Poles and the Georgians have been doing this for decades. Well, the two of you must be really proud to be able to make such a big deal about this and, and, and to get so many people involved. But Stephanie, I got to ask you, when you presented uh, the first person you presented this idea to, did they look at you like you were, you know, like sort of nuts or, or just grasping at straws or, or did they, they take you seriously? Well, I wrote um, an email late at night when I found that paper on phage therapy to Dr. Schooley, who is a personal friend of ours. And, you know, he was the chief of the um, infectious disease division at UC San Diego at the time. And when I said, you know, what do you think about this idea? And he wrote me right back and said, you know, what an interesting and intriguing idea. If you can find phage that will match Tom's bacterial isolate, I'll call the FDA 
and see if they'll approve it on a compassionate basis. So right away, he was open to it. Now, mind you, a lot of other people around us thought that this was a real harebrained idea. Because um, when I mentioned that, you know, the former Soviet Union has been doing this for decades, that bias about, you know, being pinko commie science has really bled over into present day, especially older infectious disease physicians who've heard about this. They think, um, you know, that this is um, bad science. And so we've had to really do our homework to kind of change the, the bias that was really present as a result of this being, you know, a Soviet medicine. Now, I know that uh, Tom was in a coma when, for most of this time. And so I won't ask him when he first received the uh, phage, what it, what it did for him right away. But when did you, when did you know that your thoughts and your ideas and your hopes were actually coming true and he was getting better? Well, we, we had two different teams that agreed to help um, that turned their labs into command centers. One was at Texas A&M University and the other one was at the U.S. Navy Medical Research Center in Frederick, Maryland. That's the same group that worked on the anthrax attacks and the letters. Um, and so, you know, they're in, into biodefense. So we had two phage cocktails that were prepared within a couple of weeks. I mean, honestly, it was really miraculous how quickly this came together. Um, and the um, Texas phages were ready first. So we injected those into the tubes in Tom's abdomen because that's where the source of the infection was. And he was stable. He didn't have any adverse effects, but there was no immediate change. Then when we got the Navy phages, those were um, thought to be more virulent. That was two days later. And Dr. Schooley had received advice that we really should treat him intravenously because Tom was fully colonized with the superbug. I mean, it was not just in his blood, but it was in his sputum. It was everywhere. So the thought was if there was a hidden reservoir of bacteria that the phage couldn't reach, that it would become resistant very quickly. And then we, it would be game over. So that was very scary because nobody knew if injecting phage into somebody um, and we did a billion phages per dose every two hours. We didn't know if that was going to cure him or kill him. Because if the body saw those phages an invader, then, and if he had another case of septic shock and he'd already had six cases, then he would die. So here I, I was, you know, Tom has two daughters that are my stepdaughters. And I had to convince them that this was a good idea. Luckily, they went along with it. But if he died from something that was my idea... I mean, the weight of that decision was absolutely crushing. So, you know, what we injected these phages into him um, and three days later, he lifted his head off the pillow and kissed his daughter's hand. I mean, we had been told he was literally within hours of dying and um, the turnaround was incredible. Now, he had a lot of bumps in the road, mind you, after that. Uh, because he was so deconditioned, he'd lost over 100 pounds and, you know, was just skin and bones. But, um, you know, he continued to improve. He was on phage therapy for a month. And then we took him off of it and his own body was strong enough to fight the infection after that. And he fully cleared the infection after three months. Tom, do you remember what your first memory was after you'd uh, been given the uh, therapy and you were starting to get better. Do you remember what your first thought was? I remember my uh, daughter there with me and and uh, being aware of that. But kind of interesting, when you come out of a coma, it's not like in the movies 
you don't start to think, oh gosh, you know, I'm hungry, let's go out. And, um, you know, I'm tired of laying here or anything like that. It's more like a very gradual awakening. So you're, for me, I thought the experience when people would talk to me, um, it would, it was like a series of light bulbs in a Christmas tree lights are going on. All the memories that I had were reconnected. So it is a, a more gradual process than you might think. Um, but the first, you know, when I was first, uh, I think one of my very most emotional experiences was soon after the uh, phages were seen to really be working and I was, was getting better, there was a child in the Middle East who was, had a superbug and they um, they decided to give him um, phages. And I just remember how I felt like, oh my God, this experience is is worth it. It's not just for me, it's for other people too. To have that, you know, makes you really think maybe this is the reason that I I'm suffering this way and the reason I'm on this earth. I got to I got to tell you. Stephanie my uh uh producer Holly, uh, she's the one who made the initial contact with you and she would love to have been here to uh to to conduct this interview with me and uh I would love to have you back on to do another show with us so that she can participate because in, as in her words she said that is one badass woman and we and we need to really support you. So can can I bother you that you will come back at one point? Oh, absolutely. And in fact, you know, the folks at the University of Washington um, at the Global Burden of Disease uh, Project, they're the ones that published this paper, this seminal paper, showing that the, the superbug problem is much bigger than anybody imagined. So you may want to even have us on together. I, I have immense respect for them. Uh, we would love to do that because it's it is a big deal, and it's going to be a bigger deal if you're if you're correct. And in what is it, uh, twenty in twenty seven years, when if if there's one person that's dying every three seconds from from a superbug, uh, that's that's totally unacceptable. We have to fix that. Well, and not only that, that's an old estimate. Um, the COVID situation has has made it worse because. Antibiotics have been used more indiscriminately in, in trying to, you know, prevent secondary bacterial infections among COVID survivors. So there, the CDC reported just a few weeks ago that there's been a 15%, a 1-5, a 15% increase in um, superbug infections in hospitals. So that's bad news. And, you know, the average person listening to this might be thinking, well, what can I do to help? I mean, obviously, if you have a bacterial infection, take antibiotics as prescribed. But if you have a viral infection, you don't take antibiotics. They don't work against that. So don't try to get them any other way. Um, but also, you have purchasing power when you go to the store. You can buy meat if you eat meat um, that is not treated with antibiotics. Um, and that purchasing power makes a difference on the industry. I mean, you know, Kevin, you said that you used to work in, um, in the chicken industry. The chicken industry has actually paid attention. There are, are companies now like Purdue and Tyson that are starting to have antibiotic-free chicken because that's what people want. And some people will pay a little bit more for that. So this is the kind of work that we need to do. We, we, it has to be multi-pronged. 
Oh, I couldn't agree more. And you're right. Uh, some some of the companies has a marketing technique, but they're finding that people are much more interested in their health uh, than they were before. And, uh, and and so now that we're knowing more about it, it's even more important than ever. And and so do your research and find out about these certain things that that you can do. In, you know, beef is pork chicken, all of those things, you can get them antibiotic-free now. So it costs a little bit more, but that doesn't matter um, if, if you're interested in your health. So, so Stephanie, what, what is the future holding for you? Are, you? are you going to be continuing to work with phage and to put it in all, in all, all steps possible? Well, I do co-direct the, the, the Center for Innovative Phage Applications and Therapeutics, IPATH, along with Dr. Schooley. So we're working to ensure that patients get access to phage therapy on a compassionate basis if, if the FDA will allow it and they have not turned us down for a single case. Um, also, we're putting phage through clinical trials. So Dr. Schooley is leading up one of the first NIH-funded clinical trials. It's just started this week, uh, which is pretty terrific. Um, and, there, you know, someone like me, I'm not a medical doctor and I'm not a virologist and I'm, you know, advanced enough in my career that I'm not going to go back to school. But science communication is so important these days. We've learned that there's a lot of distrust about scientists and people think that we're in ivory towers. So we wrote this book as Tom and Steph, not as Dr. Strathy and Dr. Patterson. And I guess the other thing I'd say is that people contact me who were really desperate, who, you know, a woman contacted me today, her mother has colon cancer, all the treatments are not working. And I said, you know, you don't have to take um, a doctor's um, recommendation as a death sentence, you can go to clinicaltrials.gov. That's where all of the clinical trials that are sponsored by the federal government are registered. And you can put in keywords like colon cancer and see which trials are recruiting. And, you know, that's that's how you get experimental treatment these days. And if also, by the way, if you're listening to this and if you're driving up and down I-5 and you happen to have, you know, like rather deep pockets, there are some folks in Seattle that do. Um, then you can get a hold of Steph by going to and the nonprofit that she works for. Again, give us that uh, that uh, uh, website address. Yeah, it's uh, well. You can email us at ipath at ucsd.edu or ipath.ucsd.edu is our website. We're fundraising now for a phage library because we shouldn't have to go to a bog every time we want to go to a bedside with antibiotics uh, or like treatments like phage, right? Um, we want to be able to have a phage library so it's easier to source phages when somebody comes to us urgently needing phage. And right now it's like, you know, having a million locks out there and trying to find a million keys. They're all scattered all around the world. We had a phage library that was already characterized. It would be like a walk-in cooler where you can go in there and mix and match whichever phages are going to match to a specific bacterial pathogen. So that's going to take some doing and some fundraising. And um, I'd welcome um, help from anybody. Well, and remember, you can actually save somebody's life because this this is an old therapy that went away for 100 years because penicillin came along and, and, and they, they were thinking in terms of not necessarily natural cures because I would, I would really uh, um, classify this as a natural cure because it comes from nature, but it just requires some research as to get the right uh, match to the right disease, right? 
Well, yeah, I mean, we use natural phages on Tom that like were sourced directly from the environment. But, you know, with the advance of CRISPR-Cas gene editing and other types of techniques like metagenomics, there are genetically modified phage and even synthetic phages that are being developed now by biotechs. And that's really exciting because those are easier to patent and they, we can improve upon the lifestyle of the phages because sometimes we find phages that don't behave exactly like we want them to. In the book, I call them, you know, the sleepy phages that enter the bacterial cell and and you know, combine with the bacterial cell DNA and hit the snooze button. Well, those aren't great for phage therapy, but if um, you know, we've actually had the first genetically modified phage cocktail to be successfully used in a human, and that's opened the door to a whole new area of, of treatment. So, so it's very exciting, and we do think that this is the most promising alternative to antibiotics. We don't think it's ever going to replace antibiotics, but it will be an adjunct to antibiotics that will allow us to be more judicious in our use of antibiotics so that we can get ahead of this superbug crisis. I think what you're doing is is terrific, and I'm glad it's had such a positive personal effect in your lives. So we've just got a few minutes left, and I want to give Tom the opportunity. Tom, you were on death's door for a long time. You were in bed for nine months, which takes years to recover from. How are you doing today? I'm doing great. You know, you don't go through what I did without some dings. You might, uh, you know, you... you end up with uh i'm now a diabetic because my uh i lost part of my pancreas and sometimes i have a little trouble digesting things because i lost my gallbladder these things dissolved actually in my guts and you know so but i mean how can i complain here i am you know out walking this morning and you know we're traveling and i'm able to talk to you advocating for patients and uh, phage therapy I'm a happy camper. Well, I'm so glad that you you have a loving wife and you have a couple loving daughters that that I'm sure that they are just thrilled to death that you are with them every day. Thank you. I know that's true. And uh, and Steph, uh, you are an amazing woman, and uh, I would love for, to set my. I'm going to step aside and let you have a moment or two to tell our audience anything that you would like them to know? Well, I guess whenever we talk to people like you where there's a lot of people listening, um, we get a lot of requests from patients and um, you know people that are, are desperate. So uh, if you have a superbug infection or know someone that does and it's not responding to antibiotics, you can contact us at ipath at ucsd.edu and we have physicians that will review the case um, it's always best if your physician contacts us because we have to be in touch with them too. And um, I just know that that you can get out of you know some of the worst situations in your life when the when your back is up against the wall and someone that you love is fighting for their life. You don't have to take um, you know death as an answer. Sometimes there are solutions, and if you if you find the right people and you're dedicated enough. Sometimes you'll be blessed like we were. Well, and bless you both. And, and I'm, I, I'm, your story is remarkable. Go and get the book, which again is called. It's the perfect predator, a scientist race to save her husband from a deadly superbug. I'm glad you said that. Thank you so much. Uh, see us Wednesday at four o'clock. Holly Dowling is going to be here. And uh, thank you so much. And by the way, be kind to one another because 
Each other's all we got. We'll see you Wednesday at 4. 